0: Welcome, everyone, to Define Your Terms. My guest today is Peter Kupitz. Peter is a Christian apologist and speaker. He also has an online ministry where he is always engaging over fun and interesting and often controversial subjects. Peter and I today talk about just about everything progressive from cancel culture to transgenderism. It's a fascinating conversation. Peter's a really super interesting guy and very thoughtful guy as well and so I encourage you to hit him up on social media if you get the chance check out the show notes for links and whatnot to his handles and his Facebook page enjoy the show all right, hello and welcome, everyone, uh, and welcome Peter Kupitz, who's here with us today. Hey, Peter, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Corey. Yeah, thanks for being on, man. Uh, so we agreed to talk about critical theory, progressivism, and the rise of cancel culture mm-hmm. uh, today. So segment number one, we need to define our terms. We we want to actually understand what we're talking about. So we'll ask the question, kind of, what is critical theory? Uh, what is progressivism? And uh, what is cancel culture? And we'll try and give those things some context. Peter, when you hear critical theory, how, how might you define that to someone who is hearing the word for the first time?
1: Yeah, I, d- I don't know if I'm the... I'm going to give some definitions, but I want to say sure. up front that I'm not uh, like an expert on this. So I might not be saying it exactly the right way, but it's basically uh, an ideology that has developed in universities that is seeking to, I guess you could say, free the oppressed. Uh, Perhaps that's how critical theorists would say it. They're they're seeking to find the hidden uh, racism, sexism, Islamophobia, transphobia that is in society and in texts and in movies and such, to expose it and hopefully rid society of it. And so uh, I guess there's less radical and more radical forms of it. I think it is, it is, you know, I don't agree with a lot of what they say. Some of it's good, but there's a lot I disagree with. So I, I would say it's more radical. Um, and maybe the more radical forms talk about wanting to overthrow society, or restructure it all. And so I, I see some... Uh, similarities to Marxism there and its desire to kind of revolutionize the world too as well. So it it can possibly go into other areas such as economic theory and want to promote uh, Marxist or socialist or maybe even communist, you might say, views. But I think it's more focused on uh, things like sexism and racism and homophobia and transphobia and those types of things.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of overlap between it and Marxism and whatnot. It seems to have its roots kind of in postmodernism, but I think you got Mm -hmm. at the heart of it. Mm It seems to be wanting to reveal and challenge the power structures that exist in society. Uh, What about progressivism? How might you define that?
1: Yeah, so that's a little bit broader, and I guess you can have different types of progressivism. It's like saying someone's left-wing, or in the past we maybe say liberal, And so there's obviously, I think people can use that word in a broader way. And you might have Christian progressives who are um, kind of the opposite of conservative or orthodox in their theology. Um, You could maybe have uh, possibly people might talk about government or fiscal progressives who, you know, will have a less... Conservative view, maybe believe in spending more or higher debts, although uh, that could be debated. And then uh, I think progressives generally would be like in favor of abortion. They would be uh, in favor of keeping uh, religion out of government. Uh, they would probably be more focused on uh, not having wars in other countries. So be more desires to have peace and less skeptical of any kind of justification for war. Uh, But more of the progressivism that I'm thinking of is the one that overlaps with critical theory that is dealing with social issues and moral issues. And so they would kind of tend to not agree with uh, a Christian view of ethics, which as a Christian, you know, that's uh, something that I'm Concerned about. And I'm also concerned about progressivism when it comes to Christianity and theology, because I think a lot of times they depart from uh, the correct biblical understanding
0: and what God has revealed in the Bible. So uh, that, that's more my focus when I talk about it. Right. Yeah. I think it's uh, progressivism ultimately wants social reform, hence the word like progression, kind mm-hmm. of uh, the root there, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, given that the West has kind of been traditionally Judeo Christian. Kind of just makes sense that they would want to be challenging Christian ethics, which are kind of more or less ingrained in a lot of Western society. Mm. So that's where you get a lot of, you know, sexuality, race, wealth distribution and gender issues uh, right. kind of coming up. Right. What about cancel culture? Would you have much to say on that?
1: Yeah, generally cancel culture is kind of a way of referring to people who want to censor or prevent other views from being heard. And it's usually progressives. Um, who are advocating it or you could say guilty of it. And it's, I think sometimes the term cancel culture is used because sometimes people aren't censored per se. Like censorship can mean just government censorship, right? right. And But preventing ideas from being heard is broader than that, right? And you could use censorship mm. in a broader sense, right? You can talk about self-cens- self-censorship, right, where someone's just trying to – they're not saying things that they – want to say because they're afraid of the repercussions right so they don't say that but then maybe cancel culture is even broader because I think it stems from invitations that people would get to speak at a university or some place and then there might be an outcry usually is an outcry of people who are more on the left or progressives decrying this person as somehow inappropriate, you know, for whatever reason. And then their invitation is canceled. So then they can't speak at a particular place. So that I think might be where it stems from. But then it's used more broadly just to talk about how, say, books are taken off of the Amazon bookstore, or how um, maybe, you know, Dr. Seuss books were recently people say they were canceled because there were certain books that were deemed racist. Um, So I think that's more of the idea of the the change in society to stop uh, books or
0: speakers, things that
1: would have been acceptable even five or 10 years ago are now deemed immoral, even though the word immoral isn't used. That's the idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like how you differentiate between like the different kind of forms that it can take and how, you know, it's it's not exactly censorship, but it seems to be overlapping a bit with that. And so maybe cancel culture has kind of been becoming part of the free speech conversation that we're having, because not only are people, you know, being unfollowed on social media now, it's actually like, oh, no, your platform is going to be removed seemingly be just because you disagree with kind of the progressive attitude about yeah. something, or the dominant attitude in certain circles, maybe. Right. Well, and especially what's dominant in
1: universe, secular university right. thought, right? That's really, I think, where a lot of the, the right views come from, if you can call them, or the correct views, like, you know. Yeah, quote unquote, yeah.
0: Politically correct, <laughs> yeah. But. Right, yeah. Okay, so let's, so we've defined all these things here, critical theory, progressivism, and cancel culture, Let's talk a little bit, little bit, little bit about why these things have have come to exist and come to kind of the forefront of our cultural conversation now. Do you have any? Can you add any perspective on why these things matter today? Why they're even being talked about? Yeah, well, a lot of what's happened, I think, in the last few decades is just that the progressive
1: narrative has gained strength uh, more and more. Uh, in many ways, you know, really. 50 years ago what's considered conservative today was the dominant view and 50 years ago or 60 years ago you could say conservatives had a sort of cancel culture in the sense that they would object to changes changing ideas of sexuality and abortion or uh, homosexuality and sometimes conservatives who were a majority of the population would be critical of uh, ideas that were being expressed or commercials they might see on TV or things in movies, and they would call for boycotts or something of that nature. But a lot of what you heard from people who were liberals or on the left was that conservatives should be more tolerant. And by and large, conservatives did become much more tolerant. Uh, But what and then what that did was allow these new ideas to gain more and more of a hearing and influence society more and more. And now you see things flipping in reverse so that conservative voices aren't allowed to be heard. You know, you can, um, you can lose your job a lot of times if you are expressing the wrong opinion, things that were very acceptable 40 years ago or 30 years ago or things are reversed and what you you know if you were someone who said they were homosexual 40 50 years ago you might lose your job now if you say that you have any problems with homosexuality or you disagree with the behavior you don't necessarily have to you don't hate anybody hopefully you don't but, if you just disagree with that, you could lose your job, right? I have friends who work for the Toronto uh, District School Board, and they say that you know if they were to post something online saying that they believed what the Bible said about it or just disagreed with homosexuality, if they did it respectfully, they very well could lose their jobs so this is uh, I think kind of how w- what 's happened in the last few decades. And a lot of it, I think, has been driven by changes you see in universities. Uh, University professors, particularly in the humanities, have sought to drive society in a particular uh, direction. And it used to be that university education was more about education. Now I think it's really become more about indoctrination. And of course, that doesn't necessarily mean every professor like this or every single university. But generally speaking, a lot of secular universities, particularly in certain departments like sociology, gender study, uh, race studies, education, even law, uh, a lot of times they are required to articulate views like critical theory and to teach their students and get their students to go out and affect society. So... My wife graduated from university relatively recently with a degree in education and she was taught a lot of critical theory and she was instructed to basically teach that to her students when she went to high school or wherever it might be. So uh, you just get the stuff in the university then percolating down to students who are then mobilized basically for this kind of ideological crusade to change society in, in light of what they're learning there. So really it's been very effective and it continues to be very effective although there is some pushback that's happening in society and I think there's some some of that is good um, there's also just been a huge huge change and you, and you see the. it's not just in universities you know then it goes out and gets ideas get expressed in movies they get expressed in books they get expressed in uh, you know the nightly news and all kinds of different places and I think that's how we've seen that change and by and large right now conservatives I think especially in Canada not so much in the states but in other countries are pretty afraid to speak up because if you say anything against it then you get labeled racist you get labeled homophobe or transphobe or misogynist or whatever it be nasty names that nobody wants to be called and so people are afraid and uh, you know the, the the stereotypes are always presented in the movies of anybody who kind of expresses these conservative views are nasty people and nobody wants to be like that. So they
0: they're there's a lot of fear
1: out there, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot there. And and I guess hence why all these things are overlapped right now. It's you know, we we call this critical theory of progressivism and the rise of cancel culture. It's like all these things are very much tied together and it really does seem like just this strong political push, for lack of a better way of putting it, to try and shape the coming culture and shape society reshape, uh, arguably, Western culture, which I suppose was uh, the aim of the postmodernists and the, and Karl Marx and those who kind of followed him and and them. Uh, so I think the origins were in you know in Europe and probably in the 20th century intellectuals. But uh, do you think like why exactly do you think the university is such a breeding ground for these ideas, and why do you think professors? are pushing them so hard. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, a lot of it is because they feel morally righteous and justified in beating back all the oppression that's uh, occurring or has occurred in the past. And a lot of uh, the motivation stems from the fact that there has been a lot of oppression in the past. I mean, and you have to be blind if you aren't aware of the fact that there's been a lot of racism that white people have committed towards non-whites. And racism in other countries, too, as well, by non-white people. Of course, that doesn't get focused on. But, you know, there's a lot of white people who have done a lot of bad things in the past. There's a lot of men who've been sexist and uh, not treated women fairly. And, you know, there's been a lot of people who are gay or same-sex attracted or transgendered who have uh, experienced oppression and injustices and stuff like that. So there's, you know, of course, a lot of truth there. But I think what happens is you get a one-sided perspective on that, and that's when you get that one-sided perspective. That's part of what makes the the movement so successful, and it's building upon. You see a lot of building upon the uh, successes of the civil rights movement in the nineteen sixties in the United States and other parts of the world, including Canada. So the idea is, you know, just as black people needed to be. Freed from the oppression uh, and the racism in society. So these other groups are wanting the same thing. And I think there's problems with putting everything in the same category. But you just have a lot of university professors who want to make the world a better place. And of course, that's a good thing, right? Like we should all want to make the world a better place. But then they also, I think, create a hostile environment for conservatives. They talk a lot about diversity in universities, but what they mean is they want diversity of their kind and they don't want to have a diversity of thought so i think if you're a conservative voice in the university or a christian voice those are not necessarily the same thing right there's overlap i think between christian thinking and conservative thinking but they're not the same but if you're there and you're vocal like you won't get uh, hired you won't get promoted there's a friend of the family that we have my family he works at the university of pennsylvania he's jewish ethnically but basically non-religious and he has a friend who works in i think it's social work and he's a conservative evangelical christian he so this jewish friend of the family heard from this christian man who doesn't who's not vocal about complaining things but he was told when he was working at a, a secular university that two female professors came up to him, I believe they were lesbians, and they basically told him something like, you know, we're going to make sure you never get uh, tenure here or promoted here or something along those lines, because they knew he was more conservative. He wasn't like in your face about it. Uh, But, you know, these kinds of things happen in universities where they know that They want to influence society and so they want to push out voices that don't allow them to advance the agenda right now fortunately for this christian professor he just published so many papers and did such excellent scholarship that eventually he got tenure and he was able to still succeed in the environment but there's lots of other voices out there who aren't so fortunate and so then you know you get very one-sided thinking in the university there's nobody else providing another perspective. And th- I think that's a lot of times what happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's so funny that you give this example of, uh, you know, the two lesbians bringing this up to the one professor. Cause, and, and I don't want to paint the entire movement with a broad brush. Uh, Cause you know, it, it, it might just be the loud voices that are the ones that sound the most obnoxious, I guess you might say, but why do you think things are being pushed to an extreme so much, or at least that it seems that way. I kind of have some theories myself, like I think social media and the internet uh, is making, well, one, it's making information uh, able to spread much more quickly. Um, It's also able to stimulate uh, and affect people's emotions more quickly. You know, if I see one video of, uh, you know, if I watch the George, George Floyd video, Of course, I'm going to respond emotionally to that. And then, you know, I'm that much more likely to, you know, maybe sway my political beliefs and and social media has played a role there. Do you think there's anything else that's kind of at least facilitating or pushing things to a more extreme degree, other than the fact that there are maybe still some emotional things happening?
1: Well, like you said, I think social media plays a big role. And I think particularly in the U.S., uh, you see a lot of polarization because people are looking at different media a lot, right? So the you also have in the U.S. Fox News, which is a large major conservative outlet. And then you have the other major news outlets, which are on the progressive side, right? So people get very different information depending on what they watch. And there's a lot of people who like to live in an echo chamber, right? It's, it's easier for someone to do the thinking for you rather than to think yourself. So when you just listen to something that has the same viewpoint, um, you, know, you can easily become more extreme because you're only hearing one side. And I think that's a problem for both progressives and for conservatives, right? Conservatives who only listen to conservative news outlets get a one-sided perspective and conservative news outlets can be biased too as well um so you sometimes you you know like the storming of the u.s capitol building that happened a few weeks ago i mean part of that i think happened because there's conservative news outlets who are (laughs) really biased and the people who listen to them don't listen to any other news outlets and they end up um you know extreme becoming extreme right and then the same thing happens with more progressive views of course in canada i think we have a lot more dominance of progressive news outlets so that kind of explains why canada is more progressive relative to the states and i I, for me it was only until i went on social media and i started discovering credible conservative voices and I, I well even before that I I was relatively conservative, but you don't hear as much of the conservative perspective in Canada until you try to seek out some of these more conservative voices. Many of whom are in the states, but not all. Like say Jordan Peterson is a conservative voice who's Canadian, and once you spend time listening to them, you realize, say, how much Canadian news outlets I think are all. Coming from the same perspective, you know the the journalists in them have all gone to some of the same universities. uh, At least I suspect, or I rather think, and they've all heard the same things from their professors, coming uh, influenced by critical theory, influenced by progressive thought. They haven't really had to contend with uh, credible conservative voices, and so then once they Go into the news world. They take the desire for social change to revolutionize the world in a good way, or at least how they—that's how they feel. They bring that with them, and then they become places that also can become uh, intolerant of uh, conservative perspectives. So then you get more and more groupthink, and then that affects society, of course. And you know, I think that's where we're at today. And so I, I hope. If people are interested in truth, they really try to seek out credible voices on both sides. And in my opinion, if you do that, you end up more on the conservative side. I'd Hopefully not far-right conservative, but more on the conservative side. And I also think as a Christian, too, as well, if you hear, look for cre- credible Christian voices who can present a good case for the Christian worldview, uh, you realize it has a lot going for it. And I, I Think people would find the the Christian case compelling and even decide to become a Christian. Although uh, that's another issue, though.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, but you raise a really good point, though. I, I mean, I don't think you want to rely on well, social media or even kind of the mainstream media outlets to be the ones curating your information, because of course they have biases, and social media now is having uh, everything has its own programmed algorithm, right? And uh, there have been some experts actually pointing out that uh, social media, because of its algorithms, might be creating more extreme uh, political views in people in some ways because it sort of keeps feeding you uh, more and more well, extreme content, or at least more and more of the same content. Yeah. So it, yeah. Uh, you know, it becomes a very selective narrative. Right. That's a good point that,
1: uh, you know, I didn't mention it, but I think it should be worth mentioning. If you go onto YouTube, at least in the past, their algorithms were designed to keep you engaged. And a lot of times people were more engaged when they got more and more of the same stuff that sometimes got more and more extreme, especially for conservatives, they would get, cons- you know, conspiracy theories. And I think... There's a danger with a lot of too many people who are buying into too many conspiracy theories, you know, for for conservatives especially in the US. uh, you the Q, whole QAnon on conspiracy thing, I think was rather dangerous, right? It was leading towards trying to set up Trump as uh someone who no longer need to be democratically elected, which could make him a dictator and that was dangerous. <laughs> you know, it's not like there was just a minority, of people it seemed like there was too many people who were heading in that direction. And that,
0: that should concern all of us. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of things that concern us, uh, how about we talk a little bit about kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of uh, critical theory, progressivism, and the rise of cancel culture. Maybe we can start with the good. You mentioned earlier that, you know, there has clearly been oppression in the world. And so, this kind of response that has come out in some ways uh, in critical theory and whatnot, there's there's something there. So, what do you think are some of the good things coming out of this cultural movement?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, there's definitely some good things there. And that's why it's successful. I mean, they want to put an end to racism in many ways. And that's a good thing, in as much as systemic racism or any racism is in a society that should be opposed. Uh, You know, black people, Asians, white people, whoever they are, we shouldn't be discriminated against because of the color of our skin, right? We should all have a a chance to be able to get the the jobs that are available out there and get promotions, get into best universities and all that. So that's really good. Um, I also think, you know, we shouldn't be treating people badly because of their sexuality. You can Dis, like I would disagree with homosexual behavior, but I don't think anybody who has same-sex attraction should be hated or refused a job or something like that because of their sexuality. Um, in like manner, you can disagree about the correct way to respond to transgenderism, whether we should seek to compassionately help people with a mental illness or whether we should just affirm them in their sexuality. And I think we should compassionately seek to help people rather than affirming something that I would say is a delusion or something that's a mental illness. But uh, yeah, there certainly are people who have treated transgender people badly or uh, homosexual people badly or Muslims, right? And so we need to recognize that there's good things in in progressivism and critical theory they want to stop those things and and we should celebrate that or agree with that right The right response to even though I disagree with a lot of progressives and the right response to it is not to become not to start hating people who are gay or hating people because they're Muslims. I'm convinced that all people are made in God's image and all people are worthy of love and respect but we can also disagree with people and a, a a loving way, right? There's oftentimes the assumption that if you disagree with someone, then therefore you hate them, and that's what you see oftentimes presented in the media. There's there's two options a lot of times, right? You either love someone, which means you agree with everything they say or do, all their sexual expressions and such, or if you disagree, then you're kind of a nasty, uh, bad person who's just not very cool, not not very likable, right? But I think there's a third option too as well, which is that you can disagree in a respectful, loving way, right? And that's something we need to have in society because otherwise you become very intolerant and taken to an extreme, it ends up in civil war, right? So we need to promote respectful disagreement. That's what really tolerance is. The classical definition of tolerance means you respectfully disagree with someone. That was... A number of years ago, people kind of twisted the meeting, saying you're intolerant just because you disagreed with somebody on the left. But that's not what intolerance means. Intolerance means there first has to be something you disagree with in order for you to qualify and, and, be, and make it possible for you to be tolerant or intolerant, right? It's only if you disagree something and you do it respectfully, then you can be tolerant, right? But if you don't, if there's nothing you disagree with, you can't be intolerant tolerant of it there's nothing to tolerate Uh, so if you disagree and you do it in a disrespectful way then you're intolerant but if you disagree in a respectful way you don't call someone names you don't threaten with physical violence you're polite to them then you're tolerant right so we need to remember that true correct definition of tolerance and promote that in society Uh, but yeah certainly the whole progressive movement has I think uh, ha- has good things to it, right? And they, they, I think they're very sincere in terms of wanting to make the world a better place. So I applaud that. But I just think they're imbalanced and they're not seeing all sides of things, and that's a problem.
0: Right? Yeah, I agree with you. I think if, if nothing else, in this kind of progressivist movement, we are more sensitive. And you know, people sometimes insult people for being sensitive. I think sensitivity properly defined and, and, you know, to a moderate degree, of course, is a good thing. Like, okay, yes, maybe we actually do need to raise our awareness about possible injustices, whatever they might be, whether it's to marginalized people groups or the like. And, you know, I I think even today, you know, I follow some conservative thinkers as well as listen to liberal ones. And I do think some conservative ones still turn a bit of a blind eye to some, some maybe real issues, or at least you know, their commentary on things is, they could be jerks, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. And maybe that's understandable in a way because they're just so tired, sick and tired of kind of the inconsistencies that uh, that leftists and critical theorists uh, are kind of putting forward. But nonetheless, I do think the, the lesson for those of us who are, aren't kind of necessarily on the side of critical theorists is to, you know, to be attuned and sensitive to the actual injustices that have happened and, and what they're bringing up, like, I do think the conversation needs to be engaged thoughtfully. So you mentioned before, and even in your, uh, as you were talking just now, you know, some of the self-righteousness and the double standards and inconsistencies that kind of come with this movement. Is there anything else you would critique uh, in terms of progressivism and whatnot?
1: Yeah, so there's a number of things that I would critique. So I, I hope I don't go on too long. but um, Well, so one of the things is, say, with the whole transgendered movement, um, I don't think the right way to help someone who's dealing with gender dysphoria is to kind of indulge in that dysphoria and to affirm them in that. If someone believes that they're a different Species. If if it's a, a human being who thinks they're a, an animal of some sort, we wouldn't try to help them with that by affirming that they are. Yes, you are a cheetah, or you are a dog, you are a cat. You know, we would, but it doesn't help to mock them. But what we want to do is uh, help them recognize: no, you are a human being, even if you feel like a dog or you feel like a cat or you feel like an animal, you're still a human being. There's other people who I think it's called trans ableism who. Uh, see themselves as disabled. And sometimes they will even have, quote, accidents in order to cause themselves to become disabled. But that's, you know, if if we find someone like that, we don't want to affirm them in their disability and make, you know, amputate their arm or something like that. So they are disabled. We want to help them have a whole restored view of themselves, right? So I think also when it comes to somebody who feels that they are of a different gender in their body, like a man who feels like a woman, We want to be compassionate towards them, but we shouldn't be affirming them in that. And the fact that we are getting so confused about this society is causing problems. And the fact that nobody can push back against this without being called nasty names is a problem, too. There is a lady called Abigail Schreer who recently wrote a book. I can't remember the title right now, but she says there's a huge, huge increase in teenage girls who are identifying as transgendered. And when these girls go to try to have uh, surgery or hormones in order to be able to um, change their gender, nobody is willing to push back against them because everybody's, you know, and every health professional is just afraid of being called uh, transphobic. So a lot of them then go through, uh, you know, gender surgery or hormone treatment or something like that. And what's not appreciated is that a lot of, boys too as well and girls when they're younger who have some type of gender dysphoria grow out of it and later on in life they embrace the sex that they were born with and a lot of times these girls who are suddenly identifying as transgendered they have other problems going on in their lives um It could be depression or anxiety or whatever it might be, as lots of teenagers do. I mean, that's pretty normal at that stage of life. But instead of someone coming to them and saying, hey, you know, like the solution to your problems might not be uh, identifying as the opposite gender. Like maybe you have to, we should try to deal with your depression or whatever else it might be. Nobody's willing to say that to them. And so there's now an increasing number of transgendered young people who are uh, unhappy with their sex change who want to change back. And some of them are starting to sue the doctors who made that transition very quickly. And in Canada, we find that like the courts won't even allow parents to question or prevent their children or their teens from being able to have this gender change. So it's you know we're, it's a very dangerous situation. I think we're embracing where it's basically squelching free speech and preventing anybody from challenging anything uh, because of you know for fear of causing oppression or hurt or harm to a person. Right. So I mean that's one whole area. There's another area uh, where the universities are just are not allowed. They it's very difficult to try to be objective. In a lot of these humanities fields because if you are in whatever might be social sociology or gender studies class or other things and you try to push back against claims of systemic racism or racism or misogyny then you get labeled a misogynist you get labeled racist and so you have this group think that's no longer seeking for truth which is what university should be about But it's about pushing an ideology. So in the way, it has the marks of some of the negative aspects of religion, right? When you get societies or places which are very insulated religiously, maybe like cults, they can't really tolerate any kind of uh, criticism or independent thinking, and they become very intolerant of that. And so I think a lot of times university environments are becoming like that. Where they, uh, you know, don't allow for critical, careful thinking on issues, and you see that expressed sometimes, in, for instance, the grievance studies hoax. There was three people: James Lindsay, Helen Pleckrose, and Peter Bogosian, who basically committed a type of a hoax. People call it the so-called hoax part two or something like that I, based upon a, a hoax that happened in the 90s. I won't get into that one. But they basically created a bunch of, wrote up a bunch of papers and tried to make them as ridiculous as possible. Uh, people can look this up online and see some of the papers that they created. Um, just they, they tried to be absurd as they could and they, I think there was about 20 papers that they wrote and and then they started submitting them to journals, and they found a significant percentage of them were accepted by these journals that are supposed to be peer-reviewed in order to ferret out or to to remove articles that are, are just not true or are not uh, accurate or something like that, right? You know, don't have good evidence for it. So that, I think, helped reveal how bad... The university departments had become, and I want to emphasize also. You know, I've mentioned that I'm a Christian. All this, James Lindsay, Helen Pluckrose, and Peter Bogosian, they are not Christians. They are not even theists. They are atheists. At least I know James Lindsay and Peter Boghossian are uh, atheists. But Peter Bogosian is an outspoken atheist. He's written books on atheists and how to convert people to atheism. And I'm not sure exactly where Helen Pluckrose is. I think she's an atheist too as well and she I've heard her say that she is uh, liberal or or progressive in many senses but she's exposing what's going on in the universities because she wants the left to clean up their house right she sees all these problems there and she wants the good of of the left wing to kinda of come out but they realize just how, poor, how how poor thinking is going on in the universities and they wanted to kinda of expose w- what's happening there so that's a, a a big problem in a big area Uh, I think then there's an increasing intolerance of free speech, and that's why a lot of times people will say that what's driving this now is not liberalism, but progressivism. Because classically, liberalism believed in free speech, believed in democracy, believed in human rights, believed in tolerance. But that's not today's progressives. They're, a lot of times they're intolerant and they don't value free speech. I mean, one example for you, in, I think it was the 1960s, the ACLU in the United States spent money and lawyers to defend the right of the KKK to go through a heavily dominated Jewish neighborhood. And I'm not quite sure where it was. I think it was Chicago area. But they did that because they believed in free speech so strongly. They said, look, even the KKK has the right to do a march through this Jewish neighborhood that had a lot of Holocaust survivors. As offensive as it was, they said they were standing up for free speech. Well, today's left, today's progressives would find that unthinkable. There's no way that they would defend the right of the KKK to do something like that. They would be on the vanguard of trying to stop them from basically having this march, right? So that's a big part of the problem. And it's caused certain people who were on the left to switch. So Dave Rubin has a kind of a YouTube show called The Rubin Report. And he's a gay, married gay man. And he says he no longer identifies with those on the left. He's much more center conservative or conservative because he realizes, uh, you know, just how intolerant the left has become. You also see a switch in somebody like Jonathan Haidt who is a professor of i think it's clinical or psychology and i think he's at new york university if i remember correctly and he he basically went out to try to study he was registered or he was on the wanted to advance the democratic party and he went out to study Conservatives to try to understand their values and to be able to see what drives them to help them move more to the left or vote Democrat. And as he did this research, he had to spend time hearing conservative thoughts and seeing things from their perspective. And he says, as a result of that, he moved much more to the center. And so he no longer identified with progressives. And to his credit, you know, he spent time hearing a conservative viewpoint, but a lot of people on their left are not uh, willing to promote. Uh, open inquiry, hearing both sides. They just want to cancel people who disagree with them because they're on a righteous crusade, right? And so why would you tolerate people who are evil, right? That's at least how the thinking goes, which is very similar to how in the past you'd see religious people behaving when they're on a a religious crusade, right? They don't want to tolerate people who are promoting evil as well, right? Um, Another area that I would I have deep concerns about is critical race theory. And this is particularly touchy because if you challenge anything, you can easily get labeled racist. Uh, When my wife was in university, she would talk about how very frequently in class she was told to put on the critical lens, which means you basically examine everything looking for the latent hidden racism or the latent hidden sexism or homophobia or whatever it might be. Uh, And and that's good to some degree. In the past, people were oblivious to this type of thing. They weren't looking for it, so they didn't see it. So a lot of white people could be oblivious to the racism they were engaging in or their society was committing because they weren't looking for it. But what I think a lot of proponents of critical race theory don't realize is that you can become imbalanced and go to the other extreme where you're always trying to find something, and therefore you can find things that don't necessarily exist. So... There's an assumption, I think, a lot of times when you have a certain area of society that lacks diversity, uh, say, uh, you know, if politicians are a particular way or uh, a sports team or something like that is dominated by white people or especially white men, the only explanation for that, a lot of times assumed, is because of systemic racism. And by systemic racism, I mean enough racism that it causes Discrimination, and therefore you have a preponderance of white people, or especially or or men in a certain profession, right? So uh, there's a difference, I think, between systemic racism and just racism. Racism occurs, right? You have individual acts and individuals committing and doing racist things, and you have people with racist attitudes. But systemic racism is where it's affecting uh, society and structures in such a way to make a, a real problem in a very visible way. So there's this assumption that when you have a lack of diversity there. A lot of times people who are immersed in critical race theory think the only explanation for this is systemic racism. And that's just not true. It's not necessarily because systemic racism. And the example that I use, or I think it's a good one to be able to illustrate this, is to look at the NBA, the National Basketball Association. It's overwhelmingly dominated by black men. Why is that? Is that because there's systemic racism against non-blacks, against Asians, against whites, against other groups? No, I think it's kind of silly to suggest that. The reason the NBA is dominated by black men is because black men, on average, are better at basketball. And exactly why that is is a separate issue, I think uh, uh, most or all of it, is because in black culture, especially in the United States basketball is highly valued. And so a lot of young black men end up playing basketball more. And so if you have more of them playing basketball more, they succeed at basketball, right? So we don't have a majority of black men playing in the NBA because of systemic racism. We have because a lot of times of the cultural values of black people in the US. So we we should not, the same thing that's true of the NBA can be true of other areas, right? If you have For example, the NHL dominated by white people, maybe that's because of systemic racism. We can't exclude that possibility. But it could also just be because white people like playing hockey more, right? And so they end up producing more hockey players, right? So on one hand, I don't want to deny the possibility of systemic racism, right? If I haven't studied the issue enough to come to a conclusion in terms of how much systemic racism is out there, prominent black intellectuals like Thomas Sowell, they argue, and I think Glenn Lowry too as well, that uh, these these claims of systemic racism are way overblown, that it just doesn't exist the way that people claim it does. So uh, I I think you know these are black people who are very intelligent, who are arguing for this, and I think they might be onto something. I haven't looked at it enough to really come to a conclusion myself, but I think the problem is people who are coming from... who are are immersed in critical theory, who are immersed in progressivism, will only conclude that a lack of diversity is because of a systemic problem, systemic racism. And that's a problem. We need to be open to all the different possibilities. Because if we keep finding systemic, if we're only open to systemic racism, then we can be finding it where it doesn't exist, and we can end up discriminating against the most eligible uh, people for a job and that just will weaken all of our structure society because we're not giving the jobs and opportunities to the most qualified person we're giving it to the person who will fulfill a diversity quota right it, it would be a disaster for the nba if we tried to fix it by making it more diverse by discriminating against the best black men and then hiring i don't know an asian woman or a white man or something like that who's not as good player we should hire the best players possible and, you know, not discriminate against a black man just because he's a black man. And then, you know, he doesn't fulfill the diversity quotas, right? So the problem is, you know, I know from saying these types of things, a lot of people, you, people have these mental tripwires and they're, they're out there looking for racism. And so there can be very easily label what I'm saying as racism. And I think, though, if you stop and think about what I'm saying, you realize this makes sense and it's not shouldn't it shouldn't be controversial but a lot of people i know are afraid of saying these kinds of things because they know the backlash they know how they can be smeared their reputation can be labeled badly and i've even felt this myself you know i've uh been concerned about my reputation but i i don't know i just care enough about these things and it bothers me that people are afraid and so i feel like okay well i'm going to speak up about this even if other people are afraid to, to do that
0: yeah no, I appreciate your boldness on that and I I think I do agree with you like I, I think there's just a lot of oversimplification on, on this stuff um, you know there, there there maybe are real problems that people are raising, maybe racism or whatever but they just uh, when you simplify problems it does a few things one it I mean you could be getting your problems wrong because problems are often complex. And, you know, if you care about social justice, you want to make sure you're get, you get your problems right, because if you get the problems wrong, then your solutions aren't going to be right either. Your solutions are going to be wrong because you've defined your problem incorrectly. And yeah, it's funny you bring up the idea of religion earlier, too. I mean, this definitely isn't Christians versus non-Christians. Um, and yet the funny part of what leftism and this whole critical theorist uh, kind of movement seems to be, it... it it is showing signs of like problematic religion. It's like like a cult. I mean, you can't challenge the ideas. Uh, it's it's really like you're challenging the God and therefore we need to exile you, destroy you, at least, you know, deplatform you anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's
1: there's a lot of problem there. And I, I wanna also emphasize because a lot of times when people, I know I've said this already, but I want to say it again, right? People will assume if you're pushing back against this, it's because you don't care about racism. You don't care about all the suffering that women have faced, that homosexuals have faced. And I want to say, like, I I don't think that's true of me. And I hope I do appreciate there has been a lot of people who've suffered a lot of racism over the years. And I've listened to some stories. Um, There's a gentleman, I can't remember his name right now, who has done a lot to help uh, KKK members leave the KKK. He's a black man. And he talks about how he was, uh, when he was a child, he was in a parade for the Cub Scouts. And he had white people at one point in time throwing things at him. And he didn't even know why. He was like, I don't know, seven years old or something like that. And he only later out then discovered what racism was all about. Fortunately, his Cub Scout leaders kind of protected him and and drew him away from these nasty white people. But when I hear about that, I think that's horrible, you know. And and I've heard other cases of people who've been affected by racism from white people, I think that's horrible. But it's not just white people, though. You know, I travel a lot to Indonesia a number of years, and there's a minority Chinese population, Chinese Indonesians, who live... Uh, in Indonesia, but there's minority populations in other countries in Southeast Asia too, like uh, Malaysia and other places. And they've had some really nasty racism against them for many years. They tend to be very successful economically and and, and in education. They tend to do better than the native populations a lot of times. Uh, And sometimes laws are passed to discriminate against them even though they're a racial minority, the laws are passed like in Malaysia to discriminate against them in order to allow the native Malays to succeed. And yet the native Chinese Malaysians will still do better, right? Um, and they are sometimes despised for their success. In Indonesia, a number of times in the past, they've had riots uh, where a lot of Chinese Indonesian people were attacked and women were raped and people were killed and things like that. And I, I think that's horrible, right? That's shouldn't exist in the world nobody should be despised or hated because of their their sex or their race or their sexual orientation or anything like that right so um, yeah I I just want to affirm that but I want to say we, we need to have a world where we're able to look at both sides of an issue without getting Called names or attacked or made assumptions. People make. I I've had situations in the past. You know, I made a comment about the George Floyd post uh, killing a little while ago, which I thought was a fair comment. But I seem to have a lot of people who are assuming that I was racist or I didn't a- appreciate the suffering of people who are racist. And I think it was unfair in many respects. And I know they had good intentions, but it was difficult. And I think that's why we're, we're having problems in society is because somebody who's trying to make a balanced comment gets, uh, a lot, people make a lot of assumptions about them
0: and, and uh, you know, can even attack them and such. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, on that note then, maybe we can touch briefly on like how we think this, how we need to move forward from now on. So what do you think uh, we can do, maybe individually, but even as a society to actually properly deal with kind of this movement? And let's answer that question. How do you think we can move forward?
1: Well, I have a lot of hope for social media, you know, social media gives a voice to a lot of uh, views, especially most conservatives that weren't uh, possible in the past. And so I just, I think we need to have more conservative voices that speak up on social media, but podcasts like what you're doing, I think is great. And I think we want to encourage people to hear both perspectives on it. And so that's, Part of my hope is that more conservative voices will speak up. And uh, Now, the other thing I think is important, and I'm saying this partly to myself, I see so much of a dominance in progressive views in the media and other outlets in Canada that a lot of times when I go on social media, I want to try to provide balance by saying the conservative perspective alone. And that's dangerous, I've realized, because people will assume that if you're just pushing back on, say, claims of systemic racism, that somehow you don't appreciate the suffering of, say, black people or racial minorities or something like that. And I realize, and my wife is one who's helped me. She's told me you have to be more empathetic, right? And she's right. I need to, because there are some, I don't see conservatives saying racist things on my timeline. I just see more of the progressive side that's getting more imbalanced, right? So that's where I want to speak more. But there are conservatives or far right conservatives out there who are racist or do hate homosexual people. And I don't want to encourage or promote that. So I feel like I need to remember every time I might try to pro- push back on a progressive view, I need to also articulate the importance of love and respect and having that kind of a balanced approach to things that's what I think really is really neat in society and I something I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speaking to myself but it could be other people out there like it, it is good to push back on these some of these progressive ideas but to remember to do it in a way where you're impor, uh, encouraging love and recognizing that there is truth on the progressive side too as well right and you're not dismissing the suffering that people have experienced so uh, kudos to my wife I just got married a little while ago, so I'm still getting used to saying my wife, but she's a wise woman that's helped me to appreciate that. Um, But hopefully, I think just there, if it's okay, I can mention a few media outlets that I found helpful in allowing me to see more of a conservative view. A lot of them are American, but there's some Canadian sources. So I, I think if people are looking for uh, conservative views, I think National Review in the United States is a good one. First Things Magazine is a good one. Um, PragerU, I've benefited a lot from watching PragerView views, which tends to be very American-centric. As a Canadian, I noticed that, but uh, there's still a lot of different voices on there and a lot of uh, good things to think about. Um, life site News is a... a Facebook. They write articles that appear in social media. They're good Christian posts, especially if you're coming from a different perspective. I've enjoyed listening to them. The Dave Rubin does the Rubin Report. Uh, Trigonometry is another one. They're based in the UK. Uh, neither the Rubin Report nor Trigonometry are Christian that I know of, particularly. Uh, who else? Also, Helen Pleckrose, James Lindsay, and Peter Bogosian. They're all good people to listen to. Um, In Canada, we have CCBR. They're very pro-life, and they're doing a lot of good pro-life stuff. Um, So Laura Klassen is also, I think it's Klassen is a, strong pro-life canadian too as well if you want that perspective so those are just a few names but i also encourage people to listen to the best that the progressive side has to give so um, and centrist views you know so cnn in the states would be on the left and bbc is more centrist cbc in canada is i think more on the left but i i think it's important to hear what they have to say too as well and become familiar with with their perspective as well
0: yeah, that's a good word, and I think in general, that's one of the major ways forward. Whether you're conservative, liberal, or however you might label yourself, is actually just exposing yourself, uh, in particular to those views that are that you find more triggering, maybe, or more difficult to listen to. Because uh, I think I think that's one of the core issues here. We've, as a society and as individuals, we've kind of become soft. We can't take people who disagree with us. Um, And the only way to become stronger and to actually be able to endure disagreement is to engage with ideas uh, that you disagree with, whether that's listening to them, talking about them, you know, actually engaging in a real conversation with a human being in person. God forbid that actually happened here today in the midst of a pandemic in 2021.
1: A few, if I can mention a few other names, Dennis Prager is the one who does Prager U in the States. So he's uh, ethnically Jewish and I think religiously Jewish too as well. Ben Shapiro's in the States. He's religiously Jewish. Candace Owens is an interesting person. Thomas Sowell, black intellectual. And a candidate, Jordan Peterson. He's got some interesting things to say. So, um, you know, all those people. I'm sure there's more that I haven't thought of that... uh, are worth looking into and I should mention I, I talked about the podcast and the YouTube show trigonometry so it's not trigonometry not the mathematical thing but trigger like the trigger of a gun and trigonometry okay,
0: so there's a little play of words there for sure yeah maybe we'll put some of those in the show notes well, Peter, we could probably talk forever about this stuff, uh, but I did want to give you the opportunity to maybe uh, let people know where they can find you online if they are so obliged.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm mainly on Facebook, and I have a Christian ministry that's focused on apologetics. So apologetics, for your listeners, if they're not familiar with that, it's not about apologizing, but it's the reasons for believing in Christianity. So that's a lot of my full-time job, but... Uh, on, my, on social media, I'm a lot of times on Facebook, and on my personal timeline, I'm posting on these kind of controversial issues. It's more of my private life, although sometimes my Christian ministry stuff overlaps with that. But uh, there's my website, which is worldviewsummit.org. So world, and then view, like it sounds, and then worldview summit summit of a mountain, right? So it's all... Together, no spaces, worldviewsummit.org. That's my website. And I do have an ethics page. So there's sometimes there's some issues like this that will come up there. But I'm a lot of times talking about the case for Christianity and why I think Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so um, I think there's a very compelling case there. And if people are interested, they're welcome to check that out. Uh, and on Facebook, there is Worldview Summit, the Facebook page, and that's two words, Worldview and then Summit is the second word. So if you just do uh, search for that, you should find me on there. And we will be expanding uh, soon to include, there is a Twitter handle and an Instagram page, you can look those up, but there's not much there. Uh, if people listen to this in the future, hopefully we'll be all over that. There's a YouTube channel, but again, it's kind of basic, but there's a lot of plans to develop that a whole lot. But uh,
0: those are places to find me. Great. Yeah. We'll be sure to include those in the show notes if you are interested. All right, Peter, I think that's a bit of a wrap. Thanks again for joining today. Excellent. Thanks very much for having me, Corey. All the best for your podcast. My guest today was Peter Kupitz. Peter is a Christian apologist and speaker and thinker, and you can find him on Facebook at Worldview Summit. He's always got some interesting and controversial questions for you to think about, comment on. He welcomes debate, and he does not pull punches. He does, however, expect that you are respectful, so just ask you to go over there, hit him up, but uh, not too hard, if you know what I mean. Hope you found the show interesting. Thanks so much. My name is Corey. This has been Define Your Terms.